When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is VEASAN's College Football Betting Podcast. Welcome in, everyone. Another edition of the VEASAN College Football Betting Podcast. It is Thanksgiving weekend, so uh, our scheduling's a little all over the place and coming off of uh, another big week. Matt Newmans took all that money and said, I'm going to Hawaii. So I'll call you on the phone, and that's where he joins us right now. So we'll run through his games pretty quickly because he's got things to do out there in wonderful Maui. Mr. Humans, a 3-1-1 week for you. That is 9-2-1 over the last two weeks. Uh, not too shabby for the, uh, for the old podcast here. 18-4-1 collectively over the last two weeks. We'll take it. Yeah, nice job yourself. You were seeing the board uh, really clearly last week. And, uh, Tim, let's keep it rolling. Let's uh, try to have another big week here. Yeah, people don't, uh, care about what, people don't care about what we've done in the past. <laughs> they want to know right now and give me some winners. That's right. So we will start, Matt, as we always do, with the main course. The main course. And we'll just run through some games once again. Matt out in uh, Maui. So uh, we will uh, we'll run through these. We're recording this on Monday, just uh, an FYI, because injury concerns certainly revolving around Michigan and their running back room. So right now, Matt, Michigan and Ohio State, the game is scheduled and still will be kicked off at noon on Saturday. You can watch it on Fox. This game opened eight in favor of the Buckeyes, has been bet down to seven and a half, a total sitting there. At 57 and a half, uh, Blake Corum was out handing out turkeys in his hometown of Ypsilanti, Michigan, which was uh, pretty cool to see. He said, I'll be there. I'll be ready to go. But then offensive tackle Ryan Hayes maybe let something slip saying, uh, we'll have to, uh, he's just one guy. We're going to have to move on forward. So uh, how do you look at Michigan and Ohio State? And has there been a wager been fired by you? I did. I planned to bet Michigan in this game. I think uh, they're more physical up front, and we saw that in the matchup between the teams last year in Ann Arbor. I really thought Michigan beat up Ohio State in that game, and Tim, I have not been that impressed by the Buckeyes all season. Now, you can almost say the same thing about the Wolverines from a different perspective, because no team played a weaker non-conference schedule than Michigan. 
Uh, Ohio State struggled with Notre Dame and that opener needed to come back to win in Columbus and really hasn't been tested too many times since. I mean, the Buckeyes trailed 21-16 early in the fourth quarter at Penn State. Uh, you know, you kind of draw a line to what happened last week because that's a look-ahead spot for both those teams. If you were, if you were betting on Michigan or Ohio State last week, you weren't paying attention. You got you to fade those teams a week before this game. And uh, they both played like distracted teams. I'm counting on Blake Corum being out there. I read some of the quotes, and uh, I think he's going to play. But I took eight with Michigan, and uh, I expect this to be a down-to-the-wire game. I, if, if you remember the last time the stakes were so high when these teams met, Ohio State won that game 42-39. to And uh, there was a lot of talk about both teams going on to the playoff. I don't think that's going to happen. I, these teams didn't play strong enough schedules, in my opinion, for two Big Ten teams to get in the playoff. I think it's a winner or go home scenario. And I think Ohio State wins a close one, but I'll take the eight points. Yeah, hard to disagree with that. Uh, haven't made a wager on this yet. The running back situation does uh, does concern me, but it, I agree. Mm-hmm. I, I thought Ohio State was going to be untouchable all year. Technically, they have been. They are 11-0, and 0, but I agree. I mean, last weekend, I thought the score, the final score was absolutely misleading to yep. how the outcome was of that game. It wasn't a 13-point win, really, uh, for Ohio State, Matt. So uh, I'm off this game as of right now, but uh, it would be dog or pass. And then we... We head out west, and USC was a spot that you looked to fade last week with UCLA. And when we recorded on Thursday, Circus still had a three. You grabbed the three with UCLA and ended up a push. But yet again, Matt, here are those Trojans getting the turnovers. Their turnover margin right now is plus 21. 25 turnovers forced. They have turned the ball over just four times. And despite all of those turnovers on Saturday, UCLA had the ball with an opportunity to win. And what do they do? They turn the ball over. The offense has been phenomenal there for USC. And right now you're looking at USC laying five and a half on Monday against Notre Dame, who they do one thing really well, and that's run the football. Uh, But we'll see if uh, they can avoid the turnover bug because that seems to be how you get bitten against USC. Irish can run the ball on USC. They can run right at them. And I think uh, this is going to be a tough test for the Trojans. You know, I'm not going to say it's a flat spot off the UCLA win at the Rose Bowl, but that was a huge game. And Caleb Williams was uh, outstanding in that game. And I think you're going to see uh, Notre Dame give the uh, Trojans all they can handle here. And obviously, USC's got a colossal advantage at the quarterback position. Uh, But I think Notre Dame's running game physical offensive line, physical defensive front, all those things a lot of times uh, mean a little bit more in handicapping than some people think. It's not all about the quarterback position. Notre Dame would be a damn good team if they could play, if they, could, if they had a better quarterback. Uh, they're still a, a pretty solid team. They're going to be tough to handle in this spot because they're physical, they can run it, and I think they're catching USC at a time here where, you know, you say everything that goes up must come down. Uh, uh, USC's turnover uh, margin is astronomical. And I was on UCLA last week, yeah. And uh, I did not expect Dorian Thompson-Robinson to turn it over four times. He had not done that the entire season. So I think if the Irish avoid the turnovers, they're going to hang in this game with a shot to win it, uh, similar to that season opener at Columbus, uh, where they did not get much out of the quarterback, but they did everything else right to stay in the game. Uh, I, I think they can stay in this game with a shot to win it in the fourth quarter as well. Yeah, and I'd say the uh, difference. Only, only two early bets I made were Michigan plus eight, Notre Dame plus six. 
Yeah, and I'd say the difference between that Ohio State game where I thought the defense for Notre Dame played exceptionally well and now is that the offensive line for Notre Dame is firing right now. They didn't play well the second half against Navy, uh, but they absolutely dominated a mediocre to bad football team in Boston College last week. They've got three different running backs that they can utilize. Questions is question to me is can they keep up? Can they slow down this USC offense? Some injuries to keep an eye on. Uh, safety Brandon Joseph for Notre Dame has been out the last two weeks. Marcus Freeman said on Monday he's probable to return. Uh, a bunch of defensive linemen sitting there at probable. One worry though is that Cam Hart, one of their starting corners, is listed as questionable for the Irish. But uh, so far this year, Notre Dame has thrived as a dog or a short favorite. We've talked about it on this podcast. They are five and zero ATS, Matt as an underdog or as a short favorite under a touchdown. And last week was the first time this year where they were able to cover as a favorite of a touchdown or more. So, you know, early returns for Marcus Freeman as a head coach has been he gets his teams up prepared for these big showdowns. And this is the biggest game between Notre Dame and USC. I mean, there's there's been opportunities these past couple of years, Matt, where Notre Dame is playing for a chance to go to the playoff or USC was playing for a chance to go to the national championship when you think back to those Pete Carroll days. But really, this is the first time since 2006 that you're looking at two top 15 teams going head to head. So the stakes really have never been higher in the past you know, decade and a half in this game. Uh, that's true. But the stakes aren't as high for Notre Dame as sure. the Irish would hope they are. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, I will say that Early in the season, uh, Brad Powers included, there were a lot of people, I think, uh, really down on Marcus Freeman. I saw, I remember Powers tweeting, tweeting something about Marcus Freeman's not the guy. He's just not the guy for Notre Dame. He's really changed that storyline here in the second half with a couple big wins. I mean, you lose at home to Marshall, you struggle like the Irish did early. A lot of people were starting to think that Marcus Freeman uh, was in over his head, but I think the Irish coaching staff's done a pretty good job getting this team turned around in the second half of the season. And the offense is starting to figure things out, too. 35-plus points in five yeah. consecutive games. I think that's the first time I thought I saw the stat on the broadcast since 1949. All right, the Civil War, Matt. Let's get to Oregon and Oregon State. Saturday, 3.30 Eastern. Oregon gets a victory. Bo Nix plays, was not 100%. They get some big turnovers. I thought Cam Rising... Uh, was really poor uh, as that game went on, went on, though, but give some credit to Oregon's defense. Dan Lanning uh, schemed it up pretty well. Three and a half is pretty much across the board. There is a three as we chat on a Monday afternoon. So Oregon State catching points at home and in Corvallis, Matt, it's been a challenging spot for teams to go in there, and we saw that you know in September with USC. Yeah, I want to take three and a half with the Beavers here. I think Bo Nix and the Ducks are kind of limping into this game. They got the big win over Utah that they wanted a week ago, and Cameron Rising could not have played really much worse than he did in that game. And uh, a home dog in a rivalry spot's always tough, and I think uh, it's going to be difficult for the Ducks to, uh, you know, show up in a in a big game like this second week in a row and and cover as a road favorite. I'm not crazy about the Beavers here, but at three and a half, when, I, when the number went from three to three and a half, I did grab it. And um, so I got the best of the number there. I did not get the best of the number in the Arizona game. By the way, I was going to mention that one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Arizona a, opened a three-point home favorite over Arizona State. And I made that number uh, four and a half. I ended up playing four with the Wildcats here. I think it's a huge revenge spot 
for a Wildcats team that's been pummeled and embarrassed by Arizona State the last two years. But Jed Fish, you got a chance to get some revenge here in, in Tucson this weekend. And I think Arizona gets it. I did not lay the best of the number uh, here. I could have laid three, but I was traveling, Tim. I was on the road, and by the time I could get to the bet, I had to lay four. So we'll see if that costs me. Well, you are out of town. you got things to do. So I want to rifle through these final four games that you have intrigue in real quickly, and I'll just kind of set them up, and you knock them out of the park. You love betting on or against Purdue, and you read these games really well, including last week with Northwestern taking those points. Purdue at Indiana, 3.30 on Saturday, Matt. Yeah, it's just a big number to lay. I made this seven and a half, and I, I was surprised to see 11 and a half at uh, Circa today. Indiana played much better in that uh, overtime game of Michigan State over the weekend, got a rare win uh, for the first time in a long time. And this is going to be a Super Bowl type of spot for the Hoosiers. They, they want to, as of right now, Purdue's got a shot at the Big Ten West title. I don't think by the time this game kicks off, that's going to be the case because I would expect Iowa to beat Nebraska and the Hawkeyes to be in that game. But still, Indiana's kind of in the spoiler role here. Uh, Purdue has not been a very good favorite over under Jeff Brom. I've talked about it many times. And uh, you just can't lay points with him, especially on the road. This is a big number to lay. I think Indiana's a live dog here. Also, um, I'm playing Wisconsin over Minnesota. The Gophers offense has um, more or less disappeared uh, without Tanner Morgan, a quarterback. That was just a sick, sick uh, performance to watch against Iowa. Over the weekend, the Hawkeyes did what they do. They came up with a couple of garbage turnovers late in the game, turned it into a 13-10 to 10 win. And I think Wisconsin is uh, going to be the more motivated team here. Jim Leonard looks like he's going to get that job. The Badgers were playing well before they come back in Nebraska. I think this is a cheap price here. It opened two, I still lay three with Wisconsin. And um, also on the West Coast, Hawaii – uh, was catching a bigger number than I thought. And I played Hawaii four straight times as a home dog. And it's a lot <laughs> trickier to play the Warriors on the mainland. So I don't like to do that. You kind of have to stay disciplined and just play this team in the, in the home dog role. But a lot of Hawaii players were talking about how they had this game circled because their quarterback, Shavon Cordero, who grew up in Honolulu, transferred to San, San Jose State last year when uh, Todd Graham uh, – pretty much uh, ruined the program and a bunch of guys deserted it. And Cordero is one of the homegrown guys who left. These Hawaii players want to beat him. And uh, it's not like San Jose State's playing electric football right now. They're uh, really kind of stumbling to the finish line. And I thought this number uh, was way too high. I was seeing 15 on the board, 14 and a half out there pretty much everywhere. And I think Hawaii is worth a shot at that price. And uh, San Diego State, open to pick him against Air Force. And for some reason, that was bet to uh, Air Force minus two. Falcons have not been playing that well recently. And I think after the quarterback change, Aztecs been playing a lot better. I'm looking at Aztecs as a short home dogs and that's in that uh, spot. And Tim, last thing to note about Oregon State, let's talk about that one in the Pac-12. Beavers are five and one in their last six. They have not lost by more than three points since October 1st at Utah. So that was uh, one thing I wanted to mention about that Oregon State play that I like, too. The Beavers have been every, in every game here for the past couple months with a shot to win it, or they've won five out of six. All right, Matt. Well, we appreciate it. I know you've got, a, uh, I think, a boat ride to catch out there in Maui. Enjoy the Maui Invitational. Enjoy the Lahaina Civic Center, and we will talk to you next week. 
Tim, always great. I appreciate it. And uh, keep the winners coming, man. Text me your plays. I want to see what you're on. This All right. I will, I will do that as well. We will take a quick break. Adam Burke will join us in studio when we return right here on the VEASAN College Football Betting Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back in studio. Joining us here on Thanksgiving week is Adam Burke. Follow him on Twitter at Skating Tripods and make sure to check out all of his columns, situational spots, his updated power ratings. We're Combining forces this week, Adam, it is Thanksgiving week, as we just heard from Matt Newmans. He is uh, in lovely Maui. I am hitting the road as well on Tuesday. So we're putting this out early, a lot of travel, and also it's convenient for us. So early in the week, this is going to be a little bit different. We just heard from Matt. We talked out eight games, eight plays that he likes, and he'll give out as he's given out here on this podcast. But I almost want to look at these and, and talk them out a little bit. But let's start with the big boy that is this week, and that's Michigan at Ohio State, certainly a rivalry that you know very, very well being from Ohio. Last year, Michigan got it done. They got to go to the playoff. We don't have to talk about how that playoff performance was. It was not very impressive. But now you've got Michigan and Ohio State. And I'm curious your thoughts because, you know, Matt said, and I tend to agree that this Ohio State team, for the most part, maybe hasn't played up to their potential uh, they didn't cover last week, but I, I more or less throw that out. I think they've only covered now twice in the prior game to Michigan in the last uh, like 11 or 12 years. But tons of injuries there in the backfield. Jackson Smith and Jigba feels like he's been hurt all year long. So you look at this number sitting at seven and a half and opened eight. What is your first thought of this one? Because, you know, coming into the year, I gave Michigan almost no shot in this game because of the revenge factor. I was incredibly high on Ohio State. You know, it's fortunate I don't have to worry about the the win total now because I was able to grab a 10.5 in in July on Ohio State. So we're good there. But 7.5 feels pretty high considering what Michigan wants to do with this game. 
Well, I'll say this right off the top. My number, according to my power ratings, is seven and a half. Okay. So I do have it right on the number, although I do give Ohio State three and a half points home field advantage. It's one of my biggest home field advantages in college football. So on a neutral field, about a four-point difference between these two teams. I think that's probably pretty fair, at least in my estimation. You know, the, the revenge thing for Ohio State is obviously going to be a huge talking point. And I think to some degree... That's why this line is north of a touchdown because of the expectation of people just saying, well, Ohio State can't lose to Michigan again, right? I mean, they haven't lost consecutive games to the Wolverines since 1999-2000. So this is something that it's been a very one-sided, Buckeye-dominated rivalry. And I think that's why this number is is sitting at 7.5. I could see it going down to 7. That wouldn't surprise me. Obviously, we'll see the status of play Corum and mm-hmm. what impact that has on the line here. But to your point, I mean, Ohio State... Smith and Jig was barely played. Travion Henderson's become the third best running back on the team at this point behind Mayan Williams and Dallin Hayden. Of course, Mayan Williams also hurt. Travion Henderson hurt. Um, you know, CJ Stroud was not moving as crisply as you would like at the end of that game against Maryland either. But look, I mean, I think we could make a case that Ohio State's been bored. Yeah. I mean, they're a massive favorite week in and week out. Just on talent alone, they can find ways to win games when they don't play well. I think they've been bored. I think they've been holding a lot of things back for this game because Ryan Day found out what it's like to lose to Michigan, something Urban Meyer never did. And the fan base really kind of took it to him for that. So I look, I'm not saying I'd lay it with Ohio State. I'm not in a rush to take Michigan either, but I wouldn't be shocked if this line goes down to seven as opposed to going up towards eight, eight and a half. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do wonder it's it's been interesting this year because we've seen a couple popular dogs, right? A couple weeks ago, it was Tennessee against Georgia, and the favor took care of business. But prior to that, it was Tennessee was a popular dog against uh, Alabama, and they won that game outright. So there has been spots this year where we've seen teams catching north of a touchdown, TCU and Texas, right? Very sharp side was on Texas. TCU ends up winning that game outright in Austin. Um, You know, when you look at Blake Corum, and once again, Whenever you're listening to this, we're recording on Monday afternoon. We talked to Matt Humans just a moment ago. You heard that conversation. He took Michigan. But I, I want to read the quote that Ryan Hayes, Michigan offensive tackle, had to say. He said, quote, we've planned on this. He's a great player, but I think everybody else is going to step up with him out. And I think we're up to the challenge. So is he indicating that Blake Corum is out. Blake Corum, as I mentioned to Matt, Adam, was out delivering turkeys in his hometown of Ypsilanti, which was incredibly awesome video to see, by the way, uh, doing doing right with his NIL money. And he said, I'll be out there. He said he's going to play. Do you feel like Blake Corum is going to play? If he does play, how healthy is he? And then I guess the overall bigger question is, if Blake Corum's not healthy, how effective is this offense if you're putting it all on the shoulders of J.J. McCarthy? Because remember, Donovan Edwards didn't play last week. Yeah, I think those are all fair questions. And again, being so far in advance of the game, it's it's hard to know exactly what's going to take place here. The running game sets up the pass for Michigan. We know that. That's kind of been their M.O. throughout the course of the season. Corum, almost six yards per carry. Stokes took a couple of big shots last week, too, uh, You know where he got up a little bit slow a couple of times. 5.1 yards per carry for him. Yeah, look, you know, the thing about Ohio State is you you try to keep that offense off the field as much as you possibly can. And if you don't have quorum, that becomes a lot more difficult to do. And the Buckeyes have said all year long, you know, Jim Knowles has said this, too. 
there are things we haven't shown. You know, there are coverages, there are packages, schemes, all kinds of things that we haven't shown yet. Is Ohio State going to have something dialed up to stop this Michigan running game? I mean, this is a game that both of these programs have thought about for, you know, calendar year now. And Ohio State probably a little bit more because of what happened last year. So if Corum is less than 100%, and let's be honest, he's probably going to be, how effective will he be? And also, how effective will he be against an Ohio State defense that's going to show some things that they haven't shown throughout the course of the year? I don't know if maybe a under is, is maybe the way that you kind of want to look in this game a little bit because Ohio State's been relatively inefficient offensively. I know they played a couple of bad weather games, but something looks kind of off with C.J. Stroud, the running game. There's a different back hurt every single week. I wonder if kind of maybe looking at the under is is sort of the way to approach this one rather than taking any sort of guess on the side. And I guess final thought here as we you know wrap it up. I don't personally have a bet on this. I would lean towards the dog in Michigan, but you know the the uncertainty there of Blake Corum and the revenge angle makes me a bit nervous because I I agree. I think there has been a sense of we're holding maybe something back. If you're Ohio State, you know Michigan had many more questions heading into this year losing all the pieces that they did, Hutchinson, Ajabo, um, you know, at least on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, Mayan Williams was out. Travion Henderson got dinged up and has been dinged up. And then you look at uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba out. He's missed eight of the 11 games so far. Dallas Hayden stepped up and played really well. Does this running game, in your eyes... Adam need someone like Mayan Williams and Travion Henderson back or is Dallas Hayden quality enough because you know Chase Brown is is the leading rusher in the country you knew exactly what Illinois was going to do and they ran for 140 yards last week uh and two touchdowns so I think this Ohio State run game at least from what I've seen should be able to establish itself even maybe without a Mayan Williams 100% or Travion Henderson 100%. I think the thing that you worry about with a guy like Dallin Hayden is he's 5'10", right? You know, I mean, Mayan Williams is not a big guy either, but you would like to sort of have a couple of backs that you can rotate in so you don't run into a scenario where Hayden's running, you know, I mean, last week it was 27 carries. You probably don't want him doing that back-to-back weeks. You will if you have to, but Ohio State would definitely like to achieve a little bit more balance, I would say. And something else, and, and I don't know if it happens in this game and obviously he has aspirations at the next level and could very well be the number one overall pick cj stroud has five or six free yards very often when he drops back to pass because you have to worry so much about covering these ohio state wide receivers that usually you can't leave somebody to spy cj stroud and you don't have to he only has 37 carries on the year for 77 yards but at some point I think he's going to have to use his legs. And we saw him do it a little bit in the Northwestern game, largely because of the weather conditions. But maybe this is a scenario where C.J. Stroud will actually tuck it and run, pick up his five or six yards, stay on schedule, stay ahead of the chains, be able to use those running backs in short yarded situations. I don't know. I think there are just so many unknowns from the Buckeye side because, again, I mean, okay, they, they played Penn State, so be it. But they've played nobody since September 3rd. So... Have they been holding back? Are they complacent? Are they bored? Are they just maybe not as good as some of the previous versions we've seen? Is Ryan Day not that good of a head coach? I think that's part of the equation here, too. Great recruiter, head coach, maybe not so much. So truth be told, I don't know exactly what to expect from Ohio State here. 
I don't think that they lose necessarily, but this could be a game that's much closer for comfort than it should be for Buckeye fans. All right, let's get to another big one. And we talked about this with Matt. Matt took, I believe, six with Notre Dame. Uh, It's down to five and a half. Touched six and a half at Circa on Sunday. And as we record right now, mostly five and a half. A couple fives uh, in offshore spots here with USC hosting Notre Dame. USC, very impressive. Once again, offensively put up 649 yards last week against UCLA. Caleb Williams, there were some shops Adam, that had him around 11 to 1. I talked about it on VEASAN primetime during the week. Now, I didn't think, you know, unfortunately, obviously, Hendon Hooker lost for the year with the torn ACL, but I didn't think they would lose to South Carolina in the fashion that they did. But Caleb Williams, I felt like the opportunities were there for him, right? UCLA, big stage. Notre Dame, big stage. If they win that, Pac-12 championship. I mean, they're in the Pac-12 championship regardless. So Caleb Williams, we could talk about Heisman here momentarily, but he's got an opportunity to to make a massive statement here. And for, for USC, you know, a team that had playoff hopes coming into this year, I thought it was a little bit... Um, a little too lofty, but here they are. They're sitting a 9-1, and um, and they've got an opportunity against a top-15 Notre Dame team, which we didn't think that would be the case when they lost to Marshall and Stanford, but Notre Dame's been playing much better, and then they've got the Pac-12 championship sitting there on deck. I would normally say this is a letdown spot, but it is a rivalry, a rivalry that USC has pretty much struggled in uh, for the past you know eight, nine years. Only one win, I want to say, in that stretch there. Um how do you see this playing out? Because last week we talked about it and you had a pretty sizable advantage for USC in this one. Yeah, and I still do. My line's still quite a bit higher than the market here in this game. And I, and I think part of it has to do with USC is just kind of a sexy team, right? They score a ton of points. They play a lot of exciting games. And maybe I've given them too much credit. I heard you talking with Matt about you know, the massive turnover margin for USC plus, plus 21. 21. Yeah, I mean, it's Iowa-esque for the Trojans here this season. And maybe I haven't given Notre Dame enough credit. At the same time, you know, I mean, Notre Dame, look, they they gave up over 300 yards on just 17 completions to Drake May. Some of that did come in garbage time because they had a big lead in that game. And they played, you know, C.J. Stroud and the Buckeyes relatively tight in that week one matchup. Really haven't played a good quarterback since then. So I'm kind of curious to see what happens here going up against Caleb Williams. But obviously the tough thing for USC do they stop Notre Dame's running game? Are they able to match that physicality and you know, get the defense off the field to where the offense can get out there and do something? So I think I just have a disconnect in my power ratings with both of these teams. I actually have USC about a 10-point favorite in this game, which is way too high, and I fully acknowledge that. But I still have questions about this Notre Dame team just because of how topsy-turvy their body of work has been and you know, it's it's not impressive when you beat Navy by three, despite Navy beating UCF last week, which was a very, very nice win for the mids. The Boston College game, so be it. Boston College just isn't very good. I'm, I'm curious to see what Notre Dame does finally playing a team that has a lot of athleticism because Clemson isn't the same this year. You know, who, which athletic teams have they played this season? Ohio State? North Carolina? Those were a long time ago. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I do think Notre Dame has the ability to do what they did against Clemson. And I'm not comparing DJ Uta to Caleb Williams. I mean, that's right now, even though they're both five-star recruits, it's night and day how they're playing quarterback in that position right now. And I, I agree. I mean, you look at the ability to spread the ball around offensively for USC. I have a lot of questions about Notre Dame, even though they've had some young 
cornerbacks, Benjamin Morrison, you know, two picks against Clemson, three picks last week against Boston College, emerge here. Uh, I mentioned this to Matt, Cam Hart on Monday. Marcus Freeman said their, you know, senior corner is questionable. Brandon Joseph should be back. But I wonder about the physicality and if USC is ready for it because Notre Dame wants to just run this ball down your throat. And if Notre Dame had a quarterback worthy of playing in a power five conference, I would be all over the Irish in this spot. And the number probably wouldn't be five and a half. But you're looking at a rush defense in South uh, in USC allowing 4.62 yards per carry, 148.3 yards per game. If you're Notre Dame, the game plan is what you did against Clemson. It's to pulverize them up front and just make them want to quit. But the problem is, if Drew Pine has to throw the football, what's going to happen is a very opportunistic defense. Uh, I would lean towards the Irish in this spot. And uh, as I mentioned to Matt, this has been a weird team that you alluded to a little bit too, Adam. They're now 1-5 as a favorite of seven or more points with two outright losses to Marshall and Stanford. But they're also 5-0 and as a favorite of less than a touchdown or as an underdog. So, you know, it fits that characteristic of Notre Dame will show up, will rise to the occasion here for USC, and will they be able to utilize a superior offensive line? I mean, Notre Dame's offensive line against USC's defensive line is a massive advantage for Notre Dame. Yeah, it absolutely is. And and look, I mean, also... Marcus Freeman, first time as a head coach, right? I mean, just some growing pains for him throughout the course of the season. And and this is something not to transition to college basketball, but we are going to be doing a lot more with that, obviously, as, as the days and weeks go forward here. But a lot of times I grade the really good coaches in college basketball by where their teams were in November, where they are in February, and where they are in March. And for Marcus Freeman, there's a learning curve to being a head coach, especially at a program with such high expectations like Notre Dame. Maybe it's not the least bit surprising that they were kind of a little bit sluggish out of the gate, did have that loss to Marshall, did have that loss to Stanford, but now they've rounded into form and they're playing well. And maybe that's a sign that maybe Marcus Freeman, you know, is is starting to really get everybody on the same page within this program. And that's obviously something that helps when you're taking on a team like USC, where communication is so important. We're being responsible in coverage and with your gaps to stop the running game, all of that. They're doing those things now for the most part. And that's something that maybe can, you know, match up well with a USC team. Look, like I said, I mean, my number is well off market for this game. And when that happens late in the year, that's usually a pretty obvious bet for me. But I think I just have a disconnect with these two teams. And so I, I haven't even played this game. Yeah. So right now, as we sit here and chat on a Monday, it is USC laying five and a half. Just the second time that both teams are in the top 15 since they played in 2006. Since then, Notre Dame had a downturn. Then USC obviously had a massive downturn as well. So, you know, it, it is uh, it is exciting nonetheless as a, as a Notre Dame fan to see a, a rivalry like this have the caliber of game and the importance of a game. This game would be 7.30 uh, Eastern on ABC. All right, Adam, I kind of just now want to take a step back and let's just go through some games, some big games of the weekend. It is rivalry weekend, and we'll go in chronological order. So Thanksgiving, we have the Egg Bowl. Last week, my favorite bet of the weekend was Arkansas. I thought this was a great spot for Arkansas. They're at home. They were getting healthier. K.J. Jefferson returned, and I just truly believed that Ole Miss was going to be checked out. 
after they lost to Alabama. You could sense that from Lane Kiffin. And now the rumors are really starting to ramp up, right? I heard Bruce Feldman talk about it on his podcast over the weekend that he thought it was a 75% chance that Lane Kiffin is the head coach of Auburn, you know, come next week. Is that starting to seep in there in Oxford? And what are your expectations? This is a home game, you know, for Ole Miss. They were a road dog at Arkansas uh, and got absolutely pummeled. I didn't think the score was even indicative. I think it was 42 to six after three quarters. And then you've got Mississippi State, who has been so Jekyll and Hyde this year. Is this a spot where Mississippi State is a live dog here as a two and a half point underdog? I certainly think so. I mean, look, Ole Miss did rack up 703 yards of offense last week, but their last four possessions, they had 96, 88, 86, and then four plays, 53 yards to end the game. So they put up a lot of yardage in garbage time, and, and there was a lot of garbage time in that game. So definitely a little bit of a hangover for Ole Miss. I'll draw a parallel with what we're seeing in a, in a program like Liberty, where it looks like Hugh Freeze is definitely on the way out, and they've just laid two eggs the last couple of weeks there the flames have losing outright last week to virginia tech these players know these things they can sense these things they they're also thinking about their contingency plans of mm -hmm. well if this coach who made promises to me is leaving well i'm jumping in the transfer portal because that's easier than ever before so there's also that it's part of it is seems maybe kind of quitting on the season a little bit and possibly we'll talk about one potentially in miami later on in the show but some of it is also when the writing's on the wall with a coach you know, these kids kind of take it personally and they're starting to think about where they're going to go. And maybe that's the case here for Ole Miss, where if they beat Alabama, is it a different story? I don't know. But, you know, this week, it, it you do really wonder how invested the Rebels are going to be. And to your point, as you said, Mississippi State has been very, very inconsistent kind of all over the place. They're still a tough team to defend because they stretch you out. They throw the ball all over the field. Will Rogers, a really good fit for this uh, offensive scheme that the Bulldogs have. If Arkansas or if Ole Miss is not prepared coming out of that Arkansas game, they can absolutely lose this game and lose it in ugly fashion. So I want no part of Ole Miss in this game. It would be Mississippi State or nothing for me in the Egg Bowl. Well, and a lot of thought on this one is why I would lean towards Mississippi State. Probably not going to be official play for me on Mississippi State. But, you know, Mississippi State had a de facto bye week last week, right? They played East Tennessee State. They won 56-7. to Ole Miss just got their ass kicked in Fayetteville in a physical game, and now you have a four-day turnaround for a Thanksgiving showdown. You are at home, fortunately, but I, I do wonder if Mississippi State just comes out slinging here early on in this one. And, you know, Mike Leach has not beaten uh, Ole Miss. He's 0-2. Lane Kiffin's 2-0 uh, in this spot, some close games. So, yeah, I, I would lean towards Mississippi State here uh, in this one. Mike Leach, also a guy not concerned with running it up. If he gets the chance, I'd he'll be very happy to do that. <laughs> Uh, let's get to Friday, where a pretty good-sized slate in a game. I'm going to try to go relatively in chronological order and, and when these games kick off. And a game that you pointed out, which is Boise State and Utah State. You wrote up Utah State last weekend on the website. I was going to do it as well. I saw that you wrote it up. I'm like, eh, Adam's got this one taken care of. I gave it out here on the podcast. Utah State went up quick against San Jose State. Tried to blow it, but ultimately won the game 35-31. So thank you very much, Aggies. They get to bowl eligibility. Boise State, on the other hand, and why are we talking at this game so early? Because it's starting at 10 a.m. local time there in uh, Boise, Idaho. I don't know if it's a sleepy start. That is a massive number for Boise State to be covering here 
in a spot against Utah State. It is right now 16 and a half. I actually see 117 out there uh, at William Hill Caesars at uh, on, on Monday afternoon. So definitely give me Utah State in this game. If we revisit best bets later in the show, Utah State's going to be one for me getting 16 and a half here. Boise State has absolutely nothing to play for except for a perfect record in conference play. If they're worried about that, so be it. But they just beat Wyoming on the road to win the Mountain Division, punch their ticket to take on Fresno State next week in the Mountain West Conference Championship game. So they play in extreme elevation in Laramie against Wyoming. Now they turn around, play a short week game early in the morning on the Smurf turf. And I get it. Look, Utah State, they just clinched bowl eligibility last week. Good win for them against San Jose State. But I think they still show up here. I think just kind of the the person that Blake Anderson is, the way that they're rooting for him, they just cashed him a $75,000 bonus last week, by the way. Um, just I feel like they're going to show up for him, whereas for Boise State, for them it's about beating Fresno State. You know, mm-hmm. if they win this game, that's great. They don't need to do it with style points. It doesn't really matter. And it's an early kickoff. And Boise is locked up home field too, right? Yeah. There's another game, and I'll get to it on Saturday, which will be a best meta mine. You got to keep that in mind. What are these teams playing for? And it's a lot of points, man, against mm-hmm. a Utah State team that, yeah, they're not great if you watch them on Saturday night, but they're capable and they're well coached. They've dealt with some injuries, obviously, most particularly at the quarterback position. But, you know, sitting here right now, a 17 is available for Utah State. Yeah, I would have to certainly look at Utah State. Uh, I want to jump. There's up. another game that's actually along the same lines Toledo and Western Michigan, also at 12 o'clock Eastern kickoff, where Toledo, Daquan Finn's been hurt. He's been banged up. He's been kind of in and out of the lineup. Toledo's already in the MAC championship game. They don't have to worry about this game on the road in Kalamazoo at all. That is a neutral site game in Detroit for the MAC championship. So, no home field, anything like that on the line. Western Michigan did just beat Central last week and did win Victory Cannon or whatever it is that they get for doing that. But Toledo has nothing to play for and their quarterback's not going to play. Western Michigan's only getting seven and a half here. This line would be higher, but we know that Daquan Finn's not going to play in all likelihood in this game. But that's another one. And you want to look for those spots here this week where there are some teams that just have absolutely nothing to play for other than staying healthy. Toledo is one of these teams. So if that line looks short to you and it's very short compared to my power ratings, sometimes it's built in. Sometimes it's not. I don't think it is for Utah State, but I think it is for Toledo and Western Michigan. So that's one where I think the market has already responded, but you may find other opportunities where the line is not indicative of what we can expect. Staying on Friday and we'll, we'll try to bounce around and, and hit as many games as possible. Missouri hosting Arkansas, one of the, what, 15 teams with five wins trying to get the bowl eligibility. Arkansas, as we mentioned, got there last week. I like the way Arkansas is playing right now, but there's a lot on the line here for Missouri at home. They're catching three. Clearly the market early on, open five at Circa. As of Monday, it's down to three. If I could catch a three and a half, which I see at DraftKings, I would be intrigued here in Missouri at home and do they save Eli Drinkowitz's job if they get to a bowl? I think it's very well possible. You know, this team played close against Georgia. Uh, they played their ass off against Florida as well. I think Missouri is pretty live here against Arkansas. You know, you saw Arkansas put a whole lot of that effort into that win on senior night, uh, their first night game. And now you turn around, you're going to play a mid-afternoon game, short week. I think Missouri's got an opportunity here to uh, to potentially knock off Arkansas. 
Yeah, and for Missouri, I think this is something else that's important to kind of think about. You know, you get that second to last game of the regular season where, you know, Alabama's playing Austin P. You know, you have some teams that just aren't playing anybody. Missouri played New Mexico State, who's one of the worst teams in the country on an annual basis. Maybe it wasn't super impressive winning 45-14, but they knew they were going to win that game. And if you know you need two wins for bowl eligibility, what are you going to do? You're going to start prepping for Arkansas, and you're going to do a lot of that throughout the week. So Missouri effectively has probably had a week and a half to two weeks to prepare for Arkansas, whereas the Razorbacks definitely had to worry about that game against Ole Miss last week. One other thing that's worth mentioning about this line move, though, and and this is an important thing. You won't obviously see as much of this the rest of this season, but file it away for next season. I just talked about it. Ole Miss had 703 yards last week against Arkansas. They outgained the Razorbacks by more than by 200 yards in that game. When you see a misleading box score where Ole Miss hung 700 yards and got blown out in the game anyway, you typically see line moves that happen as a result of that. So it may have been people just looking surface level at the Arkansas Ole Miss game and saying, oh, well, I'm going to bet against Arkansas. They gave up 700 yards. How can I bet on a team that gave up 700 yards? Well, keep the context in mind because Ole Miss gained a lot of that in garbage time. So just 42 to to six after three quarters. Right. Just something for you to file (laughs) away for next season as you're kind of looking at early week line moves and understanding where they come from. Yeah. Raheem Sanders, by the way, went off for Arkansas. So would be a worry about backing Mizzou here uh, in this spot as he went for 232 in that victory against uh, against Arkansas, uh, keeping it rolling here, Adam. On when you look at you know Black Friday spots, uh, Arizona and Arizona State. This is a game that we mentioned with Matt. He likes Arizona. He laid, uh, I believe, he laid three with Arizona. That's up to four. So four. That will be one of his best bets. I tend to agree with him here. I mean, what is Arizona State right now? Obviously, coaching transition. And revenge on the mind. And this is what Matt uh, uh, mentioned. And I could certainly get on board with Arizona in this spot in the Territorial Cup trying to get a win over their rival, which, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about it off the air that Arizona State won this game 70-7. to And Arizona State, after their win against, what was it, Colorado, uh, they've kind of just been a corpse, right? Lost to UCLA, lost to Washington State, lost at Oregon State last week. They're going on the road to Tucson here. I think you're going to get one team that's really excited. I don't know what you're going to get from Arizona State here. Yeah, and these are two teams that bowl eligibility is off the table unless there aren't enough teams with six wins and then maybe they get a call from the NCAA. But this is the bowl game for these two teams here. Arizona State's won five in a row. You mentioned 70-7 to back in 2020, the COVID year. It was also 38-15 last year in favor of Arizona State. So you got basically five-year revenge for Arizona here. This is the first game in Tucson as well since 2018. They played three straight games in Tempe. The last game in Tucson, 41-40 in favor of Arizona State. So the Wildcats definitely with a lot in their minds here in this one. Uh, Arizona State had a little bit of a bump right after Herm Edwards was canned. And then, as you mentioned, they really haven't been all that great since. Arizona beating UCLA a couple of weeks ago. I like Arizona in this game. My line's Wildcats minus five. I think laying the four is okay. Sometimes teams are just ready to be done with the season, and I could definitely see Arizona State falling into that mold where they have a lot of uncertainty coming, whereas Arizona's building something with Jed Fish. This is a good way to kind of culminate this season for the Wildcats 
and keep that trend line moving up. So I, I think Arizona is the play here. Yeah, I, I would agree as well. A couple more on Friday before we head to the Saturday slate. And uh, real quickly on UCLA Cal. Obviously, UCLA loses to USC. They've now lost two in a row. Cal beats their rival. Look, Cal is not a very good offensive team, as we know, you know, rinse, repeat each and every year. They fired their offensive coordinator just a couple of weeks ago. They beat Stanford. My initial look was Cal here. It's sitting there at 10 and a half. However, the market is going the other way. So that's giving me a little pause. Open 10 went down to nine, back to 10 and a half here on Monday. I'm just curious, and I'll probably lay off of this, but I'm curious what UCLA's mindset is heading into this game. You know, Cal, they're not going to go to a bowl game. UCLA, I believe through weird tiebreakers, they're not completely dead yet to make it to the Pac-12 championship. If crazy things happen, it seems like a long shot. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson was walking off the field. He's banged up. And he was crying. I mean, they 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 wanted that USC game bad. He throws the backbreaking pick late in that one. But what is the mindset of Cal, or excuse me, UCLA, Adam, heading into this game? I would look a little bit toward the Golden Bears here. Haven't made the play yet, uh, but that would be the the way I would look. I couldn't lay the ten and a half with UCLA. No, I couldn't either. My line's ten on this game. So, and and the thing about it is, when you when you create power ratings in the last week of the regular season, your numbers matter but they matter less than they do at any other point because you have all of these intangibles these situational spots you're trying to play amateur psychologists with these teams and all of that it really doesn't take a psychology degree though to figure out that ucla is just they have to be downtrodden they have to be a team that is probably having a really tough week in practice here this week maybe there's some motivation to have a 10 win season because if you win this game and win your bowl game you win 10 games and you know, teams kind of like those round numbers and all that, but I, there's no way I could lay UCLA here. And, and maybe the market's just moving that way because there's so much better than Cal, but you know, I, I think the great equalizer here is how invested is UCLA. And the truth of it is you don't have to bet this game pre-flop. You mm-hmm. can watch the first quarter. If UCLA looks engaged, then you can decide what you want to do with it. Yeah. 430 Eastern kickoff for that one at Cal. Florida, Florida State, a little buzz taken out of this one after Florida's loss last week to Vanderbilt, which I actually thought was going to be maybe a letdown spot for Vandy, but not the case. Uh, Florida State is one of the hotter teams in college football right now, and if we had the expanded playoff, I don't know if they'd get in, but they're not a team that I don't think that many people want to face right now. They're playing very good football. Um, I thought the, the UL Lafayette game was just a weird spot. We talked about it. Uh, on Monday's pod, my, and they went out. My and bet was dead like five minutes into that game. They pummeled the Raging Cajuns. So Florida State laying nine, nine and a half here against Florida. Prime time. This one be in Tallahassee. There's no doubt there will be a ton of juice there. Great rivalry. But it's been a while since this was kind of a, a really good rivalry, uh, especially with the Knowles. Do the Knowles exercise some demons on set on Friday night? I think they do. And honestly, I have Florida State up to being tied for fifth in my power ratings. Wow. That's how impressed I've been with this team. And and also their lines have really been running out here as well. I have them up there with Texas on the five spot. And to be fair, there's a big gap after the first four teams in my power ratings and then everybody else. But for Florida State, I, I've been thoroughly impressed. You know, I mean, the thing of it is they haven't played anybody for a while. So there is that. But you do want to give them credit for hanging at least 38 points in each of their last four games. They haven't given up more than 17. Are they kind of emerging maybe as the Penn State of the ACC where they struggle against good teams and just completely truck the bad teams? 
That's a possibility. Florida's not a bad team. So we'll kind of find that out here this week. My line's 12 and a half, so it's a little bit higher than the market. But you get this, and Florida State hasn't won in Tallahassee over Florida since 2016. They didn't play in 2020, the COVID year. The last time they played in Tallahassee was 41-14 Florida. So I really think Florida State gets completely amped for this game. They're the team playing better. They're the team playing really, really well at this point in time. Uh, I think the Seminoles definitely win this game. Do they cover? We'll see. But if they win and cover this game, that shows me the growth and the maturation of this team to not just be somebody that beats up on the bullies, but also be somebody that can punch in their own weight class as well. And final game for Friday, and I, I jumped over. I was trying to go in chronological order, uh, but based off of its rotation number, it was actually on the bottom here. And after UCF lost to Navy, Tulane and Cincinnati are playing for home field in the American Athletic Conference championship game. And this is assuming that UCF beats USF, which I would imagine they will. But what a big opportunity for either one of these schools, more specifically Tulane, to host the AAC championship game. And I was really impressed about Tulane uh, for Tulane that on a short week after you lose to UCF in a massive spot at home, and they turned around and absolutely hammered SMU. Uh, you know, they went 59 to 24. They run all over them. You know, Tulane has got a stud in Tajay Spears. Uh, Michael Pratt is, you know, does enough and can and utilize his legs. He scored three touchdowns in the ground. I've just not been that impressed by Cincinnati this year. Certainly, you lose eight, nine guys to the pros at you know the group of five level. It's going to be hard to reload. Um, you know, give them credit to where they are now, playing for an opportunity to play in this game. But kind of like Tulane here is a short road dog against Cincinnati. So this is a really, really strange set of circumstances in the AAC. So the winner is in. The and loser hosting. winds up going into a weird tiebreaker scenario in which UCF actually beat both Cincinnati and Tulane during the regular season. So all kinds of different moving parts in this one. But, you know, the the main takeaway here is win and you're in. And as you said, you're also hosting the game. Cincinnati is just, they're such a tough team to figure out because they've been winning games, but there's very few impressive wins from what they've done this year. They beat SMU by two. If I remember, they got badly outgained in that game. I know you kind of ran down some of their... uh, well, achievements let's just, or lack thereof. Let's just go back, right? So since they really got going in the AAC, they beat Tulsa by 10 on the road. They beat South Florida by four. SMU, as you mentioned, by two. They lose to UCF in, in kind of a crazy game. Uh, you know, Mikey Keene has to come in for John Reese Plumley. Then they beat Navy, don't cover, which I guess looks better now because Navy is apparently a quality football team. They they beat East Carolina, which is which is a decent win, you know, at home, but not you know they don't cover in that game. And then they beat Tulane, you know, twenty three to three. I think they did cover the closing number in that one. So I, I just overall nothing has really jumped out about Cincinnati. Uh, they're in the top twenty five, I believe, right now for the AP at least. I just think I just like what I see from Tulane. I think they've got a really, really stout run defense. They've got dudes who can run the ball and Tajay Spears, as I mentioned. So I think this spot for Tulane is is a really good spot. And, you know, both are really well coached. I don't I don't know if there's a coaching advantage one way or the other. Willie Fritz is a damn good coach. Luke Fickle, you could argue, is a you know, top ten coach in the in the sport. So I think both coaches are really quality. Um, but I just I lean right now towards Tulane here and the market, at least early in the week 
agrees a little bit. Open three, it's bet and bet down to two. Yeah, so Cincinnati badly outgained SMU. They outgained them by 120 yards. They avoided a game-tying two-point conversion in that game. But then a few weeks later, when they beat East Carolina by two, they got outgained by 144 yards. And East Carolina had the ball for 37 minutes in that game. So on a week-to-week basis, you don't really know what you're getting from Cincinnati. Tulane is at least relatively projectable. I know that they had that home loss to UCF, but other than that, you know, they've taken care of their affairs, won most of their games by double digits here in conference play. I was actually surprised that I pretty much fell right on the number from a power rating standpoint. I have Cincinnati minus three. As you mentioned, it's down to two now. Um, I This game, I think it's close. That's all I, I can say. I think it's close. I don't know who wins it, but I think it plays to that tight expectation, a little bit of a lower scoring expectation. Great football game in that noon window on Friday. I know people are going to be talking about a lot of other games, both on Friday and Saturday, but great football game between two really good group of five teams. All right, let's get to Saturday. And once again, we'll kind of bounce all over. We've already hit on the big boys, which is Ohio State taking on Michigan. That's a noon Eastern kickoff, Notre Dame, USC. I do want to get your thoughts on a game that Matt talked about, which is Oregon State hosting Oregon. Bo Nix, it was thought that he was not going to play. The market certainly indicated that, flipping it, uh, flipping favorites. And then uh, Oregon goes out, played really well defensively. Obviously, Bo Nix does play. They win the game. They get a bunch of turnovers. I thought Cam Rising played very, very poorly in that game. I thought Utah had a couple opportunities. Actually, mid-game watching that game, when uh, after the scoop and score, 17-10, I grabbed uh, Utah in-game to win at plus 180, and obviously it didn't come home. They lose 20 to 17. Oregon State, they've kind of been a roller coaster ride. I thought they started hot, hit a bit of a lull. They lose a, uh, they lose a couple games there in the middle of the season. And now it feels like with Gold Branson, they're playing better at the quarterback position. They play usually pretty well at home in Corvallis. They're catching three and a half here. Uh, I could be intrigued by the Beavers. Obviously, a lot on the line. There's a rivalry game. It's going to be a 1230 local kickoff. Uh, you can watch it on ABC. What are your numbers on Oregon, Oregon State? And uh, what about Bo Nix on the road? Because, you know, for the most part, Adam, he hasn't faced a, uh, a a crazy crowd like he used to do face in, in the SEC. This will be a pretty good crowd, albeit just on one side of the field because of the uh, the uh, renovations going on there in Corvallis. Yeah, it be a real interesting atmosphere and environment for this game, to say the least. I have Oregon minus six here in this one, so I am a little bit higher than the market. Oregon State, though, you know, much like I talked about earlier on with a team like Notre Dame, they don't really win in super exciting fashion or anything like that. They've had some blowout victories, certainly, but this is one of the few teams in the Pac-12 that plays really good defense. And Jonathan Smith's done a hell of a job with this team. They've had some injuries at the running back position. They've had the issues at the quarterback position. Uh, the fact that this team is eight and three and you know looks to be in a really competitive spot here against Oregon, a very, very strong coaching job for him. And I just look when you've got a good defense, you always have a chance in one of these rivalry games. Bo Nix is clearly not 100 percent. We know that. So even though my line says six, I didn't take Oregon here this week. I don't know if I like Oregon State either. I think it's a pretty decent live betting game, especially if we get off to a quick start here. Then maybe things kind of settle in a little bit. Oregon State calms down. Their defense kind of takes over. Uh, also, something I haven't looked at yet, but definitely a possibility. Will the weather be bad? You know, because a bad weather game would certainly help Oregon State with their defense, with how they kind of play sort of a more methodical type of offensive style. 
that's something you always want to look at in these rivalry games late in the year as well as, you know, what that forecast kind of looks like. Yeah, there's no doubt uh, with that. How about another noon window game? Raise your hand if you had South Carolina putting up 63 on Tennessee. Uh, yeah, if your hand is up, you're a liar. Uh, there's no way anybody saw that coming. Spencer Rattler played like the first round, uh, first overall pick Spencer Rattler that many people believed and no one's ever seen. And he was balling. Uh, they get in. I think it was they got inside the 48 times and scored all eight times, if I remember correctly they absolutely put it on tennessee uh down in flames goes my minus 195 ticket for them or minus 190 ticket for them to make the playoff and now south carolina has an opportunity to derail another team from making the playoff and that would be arch rival clemson and i think this line is going to make a people a lot a lot of people adam raise an eyebrow because they just saw south carolina at home put up 63 points and beat the number five team in the country with ease. And now you play Clemson, who a lot of people have questions about, and they're catching 14 and a half. Yeah, so I, I kind of toyed around with both of these teams in my in my power ratings quite a bit over the weekend. And, and where I wound up settling on this game was actually Clemson minus 15. So it as a Gamecocks fan, married into Gamecocks fandom, my wife's from the Columbia <laughs> area. Uh, it was great to see that win over Tennessee. It's been a, a rough few years there down in Columbia. Uh, the, the Spurrier days are very much in the past. But when you look at this rivalry and you look at one-sided rivalries in college football, this is up there. Clemson's won seven in a row. The last five by 30, 35, 21, 24, and 49. <laughs> so none of the games have been close. And that was even with you know Shane Beamer last year for the first time. If Spencer Rattler somehow plays again like he did last week, South Carolina's in this game. I don't, I'm not going to say they can win this game, but they are in this game. If you get the Spencer Rattler that we saw all season long, South Carolina may not get 14 points in this game. So it's just very, very tough to figure out what the Gamecocks offense is going to do. That said, I mean, I'm not super impressed with Clemson. I haven't been all year long. They're the 14th ranked team in my power ratings. So for them to be in the college football playoff discussion is Ugh. not great. And I hope that they don't make it. No offense. Can we just do a sidebar real quick? Go ahead. So we don't have the rankings out uh, as we're recording this on a Monday. And I'm looking at it, and it's, it's pretty simple. If Georgia wins out, Georgia, I mean, Georgia is in, right? They're going to beat Georgia Tech. Uh, even if they though, lost to Georgia Tech but beat LSU, are they in anyway? Yeah. Yeah. Not so. But if they lost both, they would be out. Right. So let's just assume that Georgia beats Georgia Tech this weekend, even though Georgia Tech going for bowl eligibility. Georgia laying 35. Yeah. Uh, and then you look at the winner of Ohio State, Michigan is obviously in. I, I would be stunned if Iowa beat the winner of that game. Last year, they lost by 39 to Michigan in this spot. And then it's TCU. If they win out, they're in. USC, if they win out, I think right now, would you agree? If USC wins out, they're in. Yes. Because they're going to beat a top 15 team. I guess Notre Dame would drop a little bit, but still they'd beat a ranked Notre Dame team. They'll be a ranked team in that Pac-12 championship. And their resume would absolutely be good enough with their lone loss being a one-point loss at Utah, which they have a chance to avenge. No, no, because Utah lost to Oregon. But still, beating Oregon uh, in all likelihood would be a, a great win there. But then you look at if TCU were to fall to, let's say, Kansas State, if USC were to lose this weekend to Notre Dame and have two losses, who gets in? Is it the loser of the Ohio State-Michigan game? I think that's possible, sitting there at 11-1. I guess my question to you, Adam, is 
Now that North Carolina just lost to Georgia Tech, they're obviously going to plummet in the rankings here. Is there enough meat on the bone for Clemson to hop over, let's say, a Michigan team that loses to Ohio State by 10? That's the question that it comes down to if one of those other two teams falters in the next couple of weeks. It can be very clean. If USC wins out, if TCU wins out, it's pretty easy for the committee. But if one of those two teams falls, and let's say, for argument's sake, TCU loses in the Big 12 championship, so they're not a Big 12 champion, I can't imagine they're getting in at 12-1. and one. Does Clemson get in over them, or is it going to be the Michigan-Ohio State loser? Oh, I certainly hope it's not Clemson. I mean, first of all, being a South Carolina fan, I'm obviously going to root against them. But, <laughs> I mean, you lost to an unranked at the time Notre Dame team by 21. I mean, it, it wasn't close. It, it wasn't that It was 35-7. to seven. Right. So, it, if Ohio State loses to Michigan, then, and I've talked about this a million times before, but it, it, it bears repeating again. If the college football playoff committee can find a way to put Ohio State in the playoff, they are absolutely positively going to do it. You either love the Buckeyes or you hate the Buckeyes, but you damn well know you're going to watch the Buckeyes. Clemson, I don't think, has that same reputation with this current version of the team. So if Ohio State loses to Michigan, I think Ohio State absolutely gets in anyway over Clemson if TCU and USC don't win out. If Michigan loses. Real quickly, Ohio State could play. Let's say Michigan beats Ohio State. To your point, they could play. They could pull the card because they could do whatever they want, right? And the card they could ultimately pull is this. Ohio State beat Notre Dame. Clemson lost to Notre Dame. Wasn't competitive. And I think that could be the differentiator. If it's Michigan and you have, I think it's either the the easiest or the second easiest non-conference schedule, them and UCLA, which is ironic because Michigan canceled the UCLA home and home. If it's Michigan, that's where it gets a little tricky. However, I think they could say Michigan's best win is Penn State, who's a top 10 team, and Clemson's best win is what? Wake Forest, I guess. Maybe North, North Carolina. You know, so we just lost to Georgia South Tech, Carolina will be a top 25 team, though, in the new polls. So, you know, that could be a good win. I don't know. I, I just I really don't want to see Clemson somehow backdoor their way in. I know I got some pushback on Twitter. What do you want to see Michigan get blown out again? I, I have eyes. I watch this Clemson team. They're just not that very they're not that good. I mean, look, uh, let's be honest here. Clemson's a bigger underdog to Georgia than Michigan is. 100%. By a large margin. 100%. I mean, I, I have Michigan an eight-point favorite on a neutral against Clemson. So we're talking against Georgia on a neutral, 17, 18-point favorite, something like that for the Bulldogs. I mean, look, I don't think it matters if it's Michigan or Clemson, but Michigan probably gives Georgia a better game, at least based on where the two teams are this season. Yeah. All right. That was a little sidebar here. Let's keep it rolling. We're going long because it's a holiday weekend. We're combining our, our two podcasts. We'll certainly be. Fortunately, everyone's traveling on Wednesday yeah, anyway. Whatever. Plenty of time to listen. Put it on, flying a, or put driving. on one and a half speed. And, uh, you know, while the kids are in the back, blast a little college football podcast here. The Iron Bowl. I, I'm going to bet Auburn. Uh, I took 22 with Auburn. And it's still 21 and a half. That's going to be official bet for me. I, I think did, this. Did you move that number? Is that you? <laughs> no. Where I bet it at 22, it's still 22. <laughs> um, I This team in Auburn, I don't think they'll win this game. But they are absolutely playing their butts off for Cadillac Williams. I think they want him to be the head coach. I don't think he will be the head coach. Does he stay on the staff? That's certainly a question that we discussed last week, uh, my, myself and Matt. 
Um, whoever is that net new head coach, whether it's Lane Kiffin or, you know, Hugh Freeze or Deion Sanders, they should absolutely keep Cadillac Williams on because you could see the rapport that he has with those guys, how hard they play for him. And, you know, I'm kicking myself for not laying the five and a half with with Auburn last weekend because a lot of people said it's a letdown spot after you beat Texas A&M. You got your first win for Cadillac's first win. And they came out and they took care of business against a, a decent Western Kentucky team as a five and a half point. In the favorite. second half. It, yeah. was, it was what, 17-17 at halftime. Yeah. I just think you're going to get the best effort possible. I mean, this is an Auburn team that almost beat, that probably should have beat them last year, right? Should have mm-hmm. beat an Alabama team if last Tank year. If Bigsby falls down in bounds, they win. So I think you're going to get your best effort. I don't know if they win. Obviously, they're on the road. And could this go sideways? Certainly. When you're betting <laughs> this many points, uh, there's a reason the point spread is what it is. But I'm going to take the points with Auburn here. Maybe hold my nose. I think rivalry game, all that cliche. I just think this team is fighting hard for Cadillac Williams. And I think they'll give them their best effort. And, you know, it's not like this is a vintage Alabama team. What are Here's the thing, too. Outside of beating Auburn, what is this team playing for? They can't make the playoff. They can't make the SEC championship game. They're going to go to the Orange Bowl, probably. You know, and fade them there, by the way. Um, I just think Auburn gives it, a, gives it a pretty good shot. And if they lose by three touchdowns, we still win our bet. And I think last week, you know, okay, fine. It was just Western Kentucky. I understand that. They're a tough team to match up against because they're a very balanced offense. They can throw it around a ton. They love to spread you out. I'm not surprised that Auburn, with, a, with an inexperienced head coach, kind of struggled in the first half of that game. But you do see exactly what you're talking about. Their inspired play with Cadillac Williams as the head coach, you saw that in the second half. They had a pick six that put the game over, thankfully, because I was on the over in that one. But you saw them really take over that game, both offensively and defensively. And I think that's a really positive sign for Williams at least staying on the staff. He won't get the head coaching job, as you mentioned. But, but, I mean, what, what has Alabama really done this season that stood out, that has been impressive? Much better Crimson Tide teams have struggled with Auburn. So last year, right? Exactly. They went, they went on to win the SEC championship and they should have lost to Auburn. Right. I, I, Jameer Gibbs didn't play last week, albeit against Austin P. I don't know how healthy he actually is, but he's been their leading receiver in multiple games this season, which gives you an idea of what Bryce Young has to work with on the outside. Yeah. The defense is still fine. Okay. So be it, but you're getting a 22 point head start with Auburn in a game with a total of 49, which I think is also pretty nice here. And Auburn's been very, very effective running the football. Two-headed monster with Bigsby and Hunter. I I absolutely think that they hang around. And, and frankly, I wouldn't be shocked if this is kind of a single-digit game in the fourth quarter or something like that, Alabama fighting for their lives again. All right. TCU, they know what's out there, right? You went out, you're going to the playoff. Incredible story. Sonny Dykes has done a phenomenal job. Um, I took the points with... Uh, with Baylor last week, we were able to cash that ticket, and somehow, some way, TCU finds a way to always win. Baylor in that game missed a field goal, failed on a fourth and one at TCU's 36-yard line, threw a pick in the end zone, and the game came down to a fire drill at the end of the game with TCU kicking a field goal. How about the stones on that kid? Yeah. Just rolls right out there and buries it right Money. down the middle. Um, and Sonny Dyke said, yeah, yeah, we practiced that. Okay. <laughs> In the Big 12, they have not, they don't beat teams by margin, right? They beat Kansas State. We were talking about this off air. They were down 18. They end up winning that game by 10. Still a thorn in my side for that one because I had Kansas State plus the points. Then they go to West Virginia, a side that you were on, TCU. They get a late touchdown. 
They outgained them by a gajillion yards, but they win that game by 10. I get it. Iowa State is not very good. They can't make a bowl game. Could you argue that this is their bowl game? You got an opportunity to beat a top five team, ruin their season, maybe. I think Matt Campbell's bunch might be able to fight and scratch and claw and keep this game close enough. I think I'm going to take the 10 and a half with Iowa State here against TCU. So Iowa State, I'm trying to pull this up here, but somebody asked Bill Connolly about Iowa State and where they would be in his S&P numbers if they had previous offenses with this defense and with this special teams. And he said they were like a top 10, top five team in the country if they had the same offenses they had in previous years with Brock Purdy and Brees Hall and, and some of those other guys that they had. You talk about teams that don't blow anybody out like TCU. You know who doesn't get blown out? Iowa State. Their losses, I get it. They're one and seven in conference play, right? Mm-hmm. Not a good look. Lost by seven to Baylor, three to Kansas, one to Kansas State, three to Texas, 14 to Oklahoma, six to Oklahoma State, and four to Texas Tech. They've played a lot of close games. They're a very, very good defensive football team. They can't score. That's the worry. But this is also a pretty good role for Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell is extremely good in an underdog role. He's getting double digits here. It's a TCU team that, with each passing week, I mean, they got to get tighter, right? They, they just they have no margin for error, I don't think. And now they're only laying 10 at home against Iowa State. I guess line kind of tells us something as well. Since their win over SMU, they blew out Oklahoma, TCU. 8 31, 7, 3, 10, 10, 7, 1. So we will see. Uh, I imagine the public will load up on TCU yet again, as they have been. Uh, you know, five to one ticket counts pretty much across the board at different books, 80%, whatever it was. And uh, TCU was uh, able to get their win. But uh, I'll take the 10 and a half and uh, roll the dice with uh, with a team trying to, to ruin things there for TCU. They'll find a way to win, but this isn't under a field goal. Um, and also, I mean, look, last week they struggled with Baylor's physicality. I mean, they had a really hard time at the line of scrimmage in that game. They had 4.3 yards per carry. Baylor had five. Baylor had 46 rush attempts. Baylor was really effective in the first half. Baylor had 320 yards in the first half. And yeah. It was 14 14. Right. And then in the second, yeah, they, they definitely left some points on the field to be sure. In the second half, Sonny Dykes and the defense adjusted. They said, you're going to have to throw to beat us. Baylor couldn't do it. But Iowa State, they're a very limited offensive team, as I mentioned, but they are physical. They are kind of, they do something that teams don't really see in the Big 12, playing with this very physical, smash mouth brand of football. Hunter Deckers has 13 interceptions on the year. That's his big bugaboo. If they take care of the football and they can ugly the hell out of this game, TCU is probably in line for another close one. All right. Um, we've hit on a lot of games. Uh, I'll just run real quickly. And, and uh, you know, uh, if you have anything, I've got a couple other games that intrigue me uh, with some bowl implications there, but we are running super long. Uh, no surprise there. Blame humans. Yeah. Washington, Washington State, uh, the Apple Cup. This will be your late night game of the weekend, which is actually a pretty good late night game. 1030 Eastern uh, for this game. Uh, Washington right now laying two on the road against Wazoo. 
Uh, no, no thanks on this one for me. But uh, certainly you see a home team catching points in a rivalry game. I know people could be intrigued. Uh, I don't know if you have anything on this one. No, my line's Washington minus one here. But I will say again, you, know, you talk about teams and, and how they have you know, how the coaches have their teams playing late in the year. Kalen DeBoer is a damn good head coach. You know, they've won five in a row. They beat Oregon. They played a tight game with Oregon State. They played a lot of close games, but they've largely come out ahead in those. Washington State also playing pretty well right now, rattling off three straight wins, but Stanford, Arizona State, and Arizona. The one thing I think is kind of interesting is I've been having a hard time power rating Washington State all year long because they just they don't stand out in any way, shape, or form statistically, but they're just solid. Jake Dickert was an interesting hire there. The team was very excited when they kept him last year, took the interim tag off, but he's got this team to seven and four. They got a chance to have a winning conference record. It's a pretty successful first year for him too. No, uh, no Hendon hooker, which I saw in your power ratings as a nine point downgrade. Uh, Joe Milton. And it's be, not enough, by the way. Will, Joe Milton will now be the starting quarterback. Vanderbilt at home catching 14. The red hot doors. Have won two in a row. They win this game. They get the bowl eligibility, which would be quite the feat for Clark Lee. Can the doors keep it close against Tennessee, whose postseason hopes, playoff hopes are all dashed heading into this game? This will be interesting because Vanderbilt has absolutely no home field advantage whatsoever. No, and I'm be sure, all volunteer fans. And, and a lot of people from Knoxville probably got their tickets for this before the South Carolina game. Yeah. Uh, I think the lock is that there's going to be a lot of drunk Tennessee fans in the stands <laughs> for this game, a seven 30 kickoff in Nashville, drinking their sorrows away after the playoff hopes went away. Like I said, I moved them down nine points. My line was 17 lines out of 14 in the market. So obviously nine points, not enough uh, with Hendon hooker officially done for the year. We'll find out about Josh Heupel. That's about all I can say. Can Josh Heupel get his team up? Uh, after you know what transpired last week i don't know but clark lee may be doing the best coaching job him and jim mora jr two best coaching yeah. jobs in the country this well year. and clark lee let us know at sec media days that uh, they'll be the best team in the country uh win the natty next year yeah i'll um, take them at five thousand to one or whatever i got a couple other random games off the uh, off the radar we'll give our best bets recap but i want to run down the list here real quickly of teams with five wins that uh, we'll be playing for bowl eligibility you got buffalo Take it on Kent State. Uh, Kent State will not be reaching a bowl this year. Buffalo laying four in this spot. UAB, fresh off of their butt-whipping at the hands of LSU. Good job by LSU to win that game easily. Uh, they're playing Louisiana Tech in this spot. Uh, Louisiana Tech has not been very good this year. And uh, got UL Lafayette against Texas State. The Bobs hosting the Ragin' Cajuns, uh, ULL, new era there. Billy Napier, of course, gone. I could see them being uh, motivated to get to a bowl. So anything of those three uh, that uh, jump out to you? Uh, no, not really. I mean, Louisiana Tech is really, really bad. So for UAB, I wouldn't be totally shocked if they cover the 17 and a half. Does seem like Dylan Hopkins uh, a little bit healthier at this point in time. Louisiana laying five and a half against Texas State. One game where you've got a team going for bowl eligibility. You've got one where there's two teams, Miami of Ohio and Ball State early week game here, Maction. One that intrigues me quite a bit is actually Southern Miss and Louisiana Monroe. Mm -hmm. Southern Miss laying three, three and a half here. I really don't think that this team is all that good. And I know there were a lot of people that liked Southern Miss coming into the year. I never really hopped on that train. I think Louisiana Monroe is actually very much improved this season. Nobody's really realized it. Nobody's really paying that much attention. 
but they have a chance to go four and four in conference play here. God only knows the last time they were 500 or better in conference action. I actually like the Warhawks in that one, even though Southern Miss is going for bowl eligibility. I like the Warhawks in that game. One other one I want to mention here real quick before we get to our best bets, just because I like to point out historical outliers, right? I'm, I'm very intrigued by lines that we've never that we haven't seen in a long period of time. UNLV is a 13 point favorite against Nevada. UNLV was last a double digit favorite against Nevada in 2001. They were an 11 point favorite. I think they were about a three touchdown favorite in 2000. So this will be their biggest favorite role since 2000. Uh, not saying I'll lay it with UNLV, but Nevada's won the last two years, 88 to 39. If UNLV gets the chance to run it up and Brumfield is healthy and the offense actually looked okay against Hawaii last week. Uh, UNLV may put a hurt on Nevada in this game if they get the opportunity. Oh, man, what a what a disaster that was out in Hawaii. Uh, Double-digit favorite, good call by Matt as they won outright uh, in that spot. He was just trying to make some friends before he went out there. One final one, and I, I played this situational spot last year, granted, with a better team, but UTEP is going for bowl eligibility. They're at UTSA. Last year... UTSA, I believe they were undefeated. Maybe they had one loss. But they had a same similar situation, Adam, where UTSA had wrapped up everything. They are hosting the CUSA Championship again. They rested players, and North Texas went in there and smashed them to get to bowl eligibility. I don't know if that's going to happen again, but UTEP's 5-6. and six. UTSA has got everything ahead of them. Conference Championship coming to the Dome next week. I'm taking the points with UTEP here. I think you're getting inspired effort from the Miners, plus 18 and a half. I don't know what you're going to see from UTSA. I would imagine even if they're up, I know you never want to bet on backdoor covers, but even if they're up, UTSA is going to pull guys out of this game. They have zero to play for in this game. And I would also add that last year, they actually had maybe a, an outside shot of a New Year's Six. Mm. They have none of that this year. I, I don't know what you're going to get from the Roadrunners. So if I'm getting 18 and a half with UTEP, trying to get the bowl eligibility, uh, give me the minors here in this spot. Yeah, I can't argue with that at all. I think it's definitely one that makes a lot of sense. And again, why, you know, sometimes I don't really look too much at my power ratings in that last week of the year because I have UTSA a 23-and-a-half point favorite in that game, but that's assuming that everyone's going to play, everyone's going to be engaged, everyone's going to be involved. And, you know, for UTEP, something I think is important to point out real quick here without going too long, the teams with five wins mm – -hmm. Some of them, a bowl game means a hell of a lot more. Yeah. A program like UTEP, it means a hell of a lot more. They got to a bowl last year. It was the first time in like six or seven years. So, yeah, yeah this is not something taken for granted, right? right? If you can get there, I don't know if they will, but give me all those points. Uh, any more thoughts? You're going to have a column up on the five win teams on yeah, Beeson.com? So I included them in my situational spots article, but I may do a separate piece on them, and I'll do that a little bit later in the week. So, as I said, Miami of Ohio and Ball State play each other in a bowl eligibility bowl, I guess we'll call it, <laughs> for lack of a better term. I think it's also interesting to point out a lot of these teams vying for their sixth win are dogs and fairly substantial ones. Georgia Tech, Michigan State, Vanderbilt. Miami. Miami, Auburn. Rice. <laughs> yeah. Rice is a 13-and-a-half point dog. Rice actually might be the one team that doesn't need to win. Uh, they've got such a good APR that I think they're going to a, a bowl <laughs> game regardless of win or loss there. Um, any final thoughts before we get our best bet recap? 
No, I mean, again, it's it's one of those weeks where there's a lot more than meets the eye with a lot of these games. And and some of these games, even where you've got two teams that aren't going to a bowl, you know, you, you have a rivalry game like Virginia and Virginia Tech, something like that. You know, these are games that, that these teams want to win. Some of these seniors, it'll be their last competitive football game that they ever play. So, you know, from a team standpoint, yeah, maybe there's nothing to play for, but, you know, they're playing for seniors. They're playing to go out a winner, you know. So even though it looks like maybe there's nothing to play for, it's not always going to play out that way. All right, let's do it. Let's get to our best bet recap. Best bet recap. All right, it feels like a long time ago, so let's revisit Matt Humans 9-2-1 and one over his last two weeks here on the podcast. 3-1-1 one one last week. I'll rattle him off. He's got eight plays for the pod. He's going Michigan plus 7.5 at Ohio State. Notre Dame plus 5.5 at USC. Taking the points with the Beavers against Oregon plus three and a half. Lay in the four with Arizona in the Territorial Cup against Arizona State. That's a Friday game, folks. Just keep it on your radar there. Taking the points with Indiana against Purdue. I'll just say this, not trying to mush them, but that guy can read that Purdue games pretty well. Plus ten and a half there. Wisconsin laying the three against Minnesota. He's going back to the well with the Rainbow Warriors catching 15 against San Jose State on the road. He thinks that team will be motivated to play their former quarterback, Chevin Cordero. And then taking the short number with San Diego State at home against Air Force. My plays before I throw to you, Mr. Burke, I am going Auburn plus 21 and a half against Alabama. UTEP plus 18.5 at UTSA. Iowa State plus 10.5 at TCU. And then I'm going to go a Friday game. Missouri plus 3.5 against Arkansas. So just four plays here as we do this on a Monday. A couple leans. I do agree with Matt on Arizona. I think that's a spot that I'll look to back uh, Arizona as a short favorite there. So those are my four official plays here for the podcast. What do you got, Adam? So on Friday here, I got Utah State getting the 17. They're, well, we'll call it 16 and a half. No, there's a seven, 17 17 out there. only only available in certain places there. But I think, you know, Boise State, I just I don't see them being super invested or engaged in this game. So Utah State plus the 16 and a half. I like Arizona minus four on Friday as well. Also, one that we didn't really talk about too much. Fresno State has nothing to play for yep. because they're already in the Mountain West title game. However, it's senior day for Jake Hayner, and he's already talked about how important the program is to him, how much that day is going to mean to him. Fresno State in the first half, there's one number out there at DraftKings. They're minus seven and a half. As other books populate, we'll see if we can find a seven. But I think Fresno State tries to jump out early, let Hayner put up some numbers, then go ahead and take him out of that one. For Saturday, I'm with Matt. I like Indiana plus ten and a half. I have this game line Purdue minus five. I've not been impressed with the Boilermakers. Uh, as this season has kind of played out. And here. as Matt pointed out real quickly, Purdue is a good chance they'll know once that game kicks off that they're not going to the Big Ten championship game. They do not own the tiebreaker against Iowa. Iowa plays noon Eastern. I believe this Purdue-Indiana game is 3.30. So there's a good likelihood that there could be some deflation from Purdue uh, once they find out that they're not playing for a chance to go to the Big Ten championship. That's an excellent point. I'm, I'm glad Matt brought that up. I'm going to ride with you on Auburn plus 22 as well. I think that line's just a little bit too big. And then uh, I'll take the three and a half with Monroe. We'll take the Warhawks and uh, Terry Bowden doing a great job down there uh, in Louisiana. I don't think Southern Miss is that good. I don't trust them here laying three and a half with bowl eligibility on the board. 
Follow Mr. Burke on Twitter at Skating Tripods. Follow Matt Humans and his pictures. I'm sure he'll send them out uh, from Hawaii at Matt Humans 247. I'm at one Tim Murray. Once again, rate, review, and subscribe, please. Uh, and we will be back next week, championship week, and then can't wait for bowl season. That is the best time of year to bet talking about all of the teams that uh, might have zero motivation. So let's have ourselves another winning week. We will talk to you after Thanksgiving uh, and uh, enjoy some turkey, folks. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.